I am very fortunate that I've had some really great people in my life. I'm appreciative that they invested what they had emotionally, time-wise. Something that I don't want to take for granted anymore. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And to all of you out there who have joined me here on the podcast, who have listened to the podcast, perhaps this is your first time. I really appreciate it. Today marks our three-year anniversary from our very first episode that we launched in mid-July 2020. I'm really proud of the work we're doing, and I really appreciate all of you, all of your support. Thank you. As always, check the show notes for all kinds of other cool and interesting things, ways to get involved and participate, including our membership. We could use that kind of support as we look to expand our reach and our message and the movement to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. That is what we are all about. And in addition to listening, you can, of course, rate and review this podcast on Apple. It helps people find it. And yes, you know, we want more people to find it. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast, as the name suggests, like we do all the time. We know it's not a great fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I'm talking with Brianna. Brianna lives in New Mexico, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Brianna. Where are you, Brianna? In New Mexico, which is very recent. Um, I used to be based in Virginia practically my whole life. I see that you are in a car. The place that I'm moving into is kind of in under construction so i was hoping that i would have that unfinished space that was quiet to do this podcast and ironically i am in my car what kind of car do you have a honda crv beige 2009 yeah drove it out to the the desert new mexico so it's not like virginia and tennessee and north carolina like that region of the united states isn't beautiful in its Mm -hmm. own way It's just because I had just been in the same kind of scenes as far as the people I was being raised with and the viewpoints they held. I just wanted something different. I kind of felt a little stir crazy. But right before quarantine happened and I was thinking about the prospects of moving somewhere out west, I knew it was going to be out west somewhere. I met this woman who I ended up working with throughout all of quarantine. And I finally just ended that season of life. Um, But it took me to Tennessee, which was the first time I moved outside of what was normal and comfortable for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But after about two years in Tennessee, I was like, I've got to go out west still. And so I visited New Mexico and the Southwest, but something just 
always brought me back here. So I'm going to try it out. Two years in Tennessee is not a bad book title. <laughs> Another book title, two years in Tennessee. I mean, if there's an alliteration there. It, it makes me wonder why two years. It's it's a, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. And there's a big story behind it. We're going to get to it. I think you said you uh, left. The words you used, I think, were the people, the beliefs they had and the way you were raised or something like that? I kind of more meant like where I grew up, which was in Northern Virginia, 50 minutes to an hour on a good day to get to DC. So I remember spending quite a bit of time as I was growing up, visiting my grandparents who lived right across the river from it, going and just being introduced to all kinds of people. Where I grew up was pretty much suburban and there wasn't a lot of diversity compared to like Washington, D.C., which is hugely diverse with all different nationalities. But I kind of like really settled into the suburban life when I was like in middle school and high school. And when I went to do my like very short stay at university, Um, What I didn't realize was that practically the same demographics that I had grown up around followed me to university. And that was something that I was a little bit disappointed in because I felt like I wanted more of an opportunity to do something different and see different ways of life and meet people that I don't think I otherwise would have had um, the opportunity to meet. But I think in hindsight, I'm definitely glad that some of the same kind of people, um, and I don't mean that a bad way, but I'm glad that I had that sense of comfort that seemed familiar when I went to a very new place and in a very new situation. All right. So now you're in New Mexico and you're in a car. Yeah. Right. So I'm in New Mexico because I was on a road trip Mm -hmm. just to kind of tour national forests and parks. And also kind of try to figure out what comes next, which is easier said than done in theory. But Mm -hmm. my mental health really has not been a sleepy beast for the last, realistically, for like the last seven or eight years. It's been really bad, but it has, you know, these like ebb and flows where sometimes it's a lot easier to not dwell on the issues that I feel like I'm experiencing in my life and not let overwhelm completely wreak havoc on like my ability to function day to day. But over the course of, you know, the last three years, I feel like mental health wise, it's it's been a lot more of an aggravating factor. I think a large part of that had to do with this new job that I got myself involved in and just so much newness also under the pressure of like quarantining and isolating in a sort, I felt like I didn't really have a lot of people to like process these things with. I think I like took on a lot more mental stress and stuff that just wasn't good for me to take on because I was trying to reinvent myself and I was trying to be somebody who did things that weren't comfortable for them or things that like I felt like would make me like a more optimal person. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like putting the horse before the cart, doing all of these things with the sincere hope that eventually it would bear fruit that would be more like everlasting and not things that wouldn't contribute to long-term fulfillment. And that was something that I felt like I was desperately lacking. Mm. So you're growing up in Virginia. Do you remember when you first had any thoughts of suicide? It was probably when I was 20. Okay. How old are you now? 28. 
But before 20. I didn't think about it as something that could be applied to me. Right. I remember learning about it for the first time, actually through like, there were some famous bands that my mom listened to and front runners would end up dying. And I knew that suicide meant that you'd kill yourself. And in middle school, I remember a classmate's father died that way. And I thought, okay, that meant that he killed himself. And then I had another friend whose father also did that in high school. It wasn't really something that I thought about much beyond like a textbook definition, which is really interesting because I still think back and can see how I struggled a lot with mental health, but I just kind of chalked it up to going through it, coming of age, teenage stuff. Right. What happens at 20? A lot of like stress about everything going on in my life. At that point in time, I think I had finished two whole years of university. Mm -hmm. Um, I was woefully underprepared to be at school. I was stressed out a lot about academics. I was struggling a lot in my classes. Um, I was struggling a lot with the financial responsibility of school, which I think was, I underplayed that. Um, and that caused a lot of grief for my family. And I also lost my grandfather, who was an important part of my entire existence. I mean, he's like the best person that I could have ever known. And um, he passed away uh, rather unexpectedly. And I didn't realize how much of an impact that would have had on me and also my family, who I thought our relationship at the time was very volatile. So. I was grieving a lot, going through a lot, and again, just kind of saying, all right, well, this is my inadequacy, and this is because I'm not devoting as much time to my studies as I know I should, but how can you do that when you have so much else on your plate that's Mm -hmm. taking up a lot of headspace? And so there was a point at 20, um, it was like the summer before my junior year, and I had gone through a lot of depressive episodes, like really kind of spiraling out of control, but still trying to like, I guess, guise it as me just kind of being a college student in typical fashion who, you know, would go to class, but mostly make her social life kind of a thing. I tried to kind of guise it as I was just the life of the party as a way to almost distract myself from how much just how much uh, despair I felt. I felt really guilty for not doing as well in my classes and skipping a lot because I just like could not get myself to go out of bed. I didn't want to see anyone. I like really isolated myself and almost became like paranoid to go out and see anyone that I knew because I didn't want them to ask questions about why they never saw me and why I was never in class. Mm. And just feeling really guilty again for wasting a lot of money because my family was never well off, although we lived, we grew up in a well off area. We were definitely always like low income, lower income. And so I knew the financial stress of it. And that was a big part of me feeling like I was a disappointment overall. I was really going through it. I was considering like, what do I do ahead of my junior year? And my friend um, who I met freshman year, she saw it. She kind of saw the signs and she was going through her own thing. And so she invited me to house it for her um, and her family while they went on vacation. She thought it would be a great break for me. And, and I really needed that. I saw in hindsight 
if she had known really the state of my mental health, it probably would have set off flags for her. But I was like, yes, this is what I need. I need a vacation. I need to like kind of have some time to figure out a shorter term plan for how to get through the rest of the summer and get into junior year. And so I went over to her house. I was trying to like get myself better by, you know, running and eating well and drinking water and just like base level stuff of just taking care of you and trying to find some satisfaction in my days and not spend them legitimately like in a dark room doing nothing. Eventually I would do these things and I was realizing like they are so much more effort than I really care to invest. I'm not going to do that. And then it's like, okay, I'm not going to do that either. And like, there's no point of putting on my shoes just to walk to the bus stop and like panic about going out and doing things and just saying, what's the point and walking back five minutes later. I was like, I, I'm like, I can't do anything. I, I mm-hmm. feel like I can't really live at all without help. Like I just kind of like spiraled out before this spiraling. I like had a friend give me um, like an edible cannabis and I thought, okay, that, that will kind of help me to be able to like bypass all of this. Like, no, don't actually get on the bus and do the school thing. It will be worth it in the end. I thought that could help me, but it really did the opposite. And so I remember like she's got, you know, three levels to her house. I was up on the top level trying to like get myself to go to this bus stop. I'd already missed like who knows how many buses. And I was trying to get to this thing that was happening in DC. Um, And I was just like pacing and I just found myself pacing and pacing. And then eventually I went downstairs and before I knew it, I was standing in her kitchen gripping this knife. on her like island and her family cooks. So I knew where the sharp ones and the good ones were. And it was more of like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I did not expect myself to be here. It wasn't like, okay, like I know that my life needs to end right now, but it was a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) how did I go from being upstairs to here? And then I just kind of kept asking myself, like, how would I do this? And could I do this? I think I remember asking myself, could I be brave right now? Mm. And I use the word brave and it almost like churns me a little to think about that bravery. I thought about everything that I'd known about it. I imagined like the motion, what it would feel like, things that I know would work above other things like places arteries, like femoral, all that. I just remember thinking, can I do this right now? Can I do this? And then I thought about my friend and I thought about me being in her house, like beloved childhood home. It like snapped me out of it. It snapped me out of it enough to where I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I doing? And I ran upstairs and I closed like every single door that could lead to the stairwell. And I told myself, because I didn't trust myself at this point, I knew that I had like gone over a boundary that I had never done before, because I never thought about it ever in relationship to me as far as an option. And I justified it. So I was afraid of myself. And I told myself, obviously, still, while I'm high, I need to just stay in this room. I don't I can't open these doors like whatever I need to do to like 
distract myself. I need to do it. I just can't leave those doors, the two doors. And so that's what I did. And I woke up the next morning and I, I cried. I know that was like a lot and all at once, but I remember feeling very disappointed because I felt like I missed my one opportunity. In some ways, even though I know, and I knew that morning after that things had not changed, mm-hmm. I still felt like I was a huge burden. I could not see how I could like make my life any more enjoyable to like live through. I felt like, again, it was justified that I, I just did not exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was like that combination of wrong headspace, desperation, mental mind altering substances. But it was just all almost like a perfectly wicked uh, recipe for a suicide attempt. When I look back on it, I still hesitate to call that the suicide attempt. I had another one that was more intentional where I actively sought and did things to my body with the hopes of killing myself. But it's the defining moment for sure in my story because, again, I had never considered actually doing it to myself. I just had it as a concept. And that's when you were 20, right? Yeah. After that, I decided to take a semester off um, to get my head right. Didn't work. Went back to school in the spring. Just that whole semester, I, I felt even worse. And so, yeah, the thoughts of suicide came up and I attempted again that summer. I I really fully attempted that summer. I found myself in the same predicament that I was in a year before. Still, I felt like wasting time, money, all that stuff on school. I felt like I was the worst person ever because I was hiding. I mean, I was like ignoring people who love me and just want to see the best for me just being a really shitty person and just dealing with my mental health. I felt like a shitty person, but I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. And the things that I was trying to do like therapy, I found a therapist that was really helpful for a time and I'd slowly ebb and flow from her. But it all just got to the point where I was like, there's no point of trying any of this. And in the end, it doesn't matter what I do. Well, I just think there's an interesting point to be made that I think a lot of people don't recognize in that it makes sense to do the things, right? Like one example being therapy. What I don't think gets discussed a lot is when it doesn't work or work in the way that we want it to work or need it to work. And then what happens after that, that shit, and you know, this is just my point of view, obviously, that adds up. So the therapy didn't work and another therapist maybe doesn't work. This isn't necessarily your story, but in general, when you try and med, that didn't work. So eventually you're like, nothing fucking works. So you're doing the things you're supposed to do, but they don't work. And in a weird way, it makes it worse. That's what I think. In some ways, how it applies to my life. So, uh, And I was doing a lot of the things that I felt like, I think as a society, people tell you to do. Yeah. And also a lot of the things that people personally, who may not have really known the degree to which I was struggling with all of these mental health issues, but could see that, you know, there's, there's probably a reason beyond just stress from academics and stuff. They were telling me, yeah, you know, you should go see therapy or try to get diagnosed with something. There's this whole thing about getting on medication and, you know, then not getting on medication, just be more active and participate more with your friends and family and community and all that Mm -hmm. so again that was all just like 
putting the cart before the horse, doing all these things where I feel like at the time I, I, I thought they were just bullshit. Objectively, yeah, I can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exercise. Woohoo. <laughs> I didn't want to do any of that. And I was almost getting more frustrated that I was having to pretend to do these things because I wanted to get better. And again, not a lot of people knew this about me. And so I just felt frustrated because I really didn't think that things were going to get better. And it almost felt like being gaslit. You, you, things weren't getting better. You, you weren't, you're not making this up. You weren't imagining it. It wasn't like you were being, I guess the word some people might use is dramatic. They weren't getting better. It's like a completely logical, valid, I think, way to think. And it was hard to realize that. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. You think I, I don't want to, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to try to prove to myself every single day why every single day matters. How did you try the second time? I had stockpiled a lot of medications, different ones um, from drastically different sources, Mm. mostly prescriptions. And then I had this idea to take them all uh, while being completely inebriated, Mm. run a bath, Mm. and then finish myself off. And just kind of drift. Finish yourself off with a knife? Yeah. What happened? Um, I didn't finish the knife part, Mm. but I did take the pills and I did. I was drunk at the time. And I do remember running the bath. That was like the summer of the Olympics. And I remember starting some program and just sitting in the bathtub, just kind of waiting, I guess, for the time where I felt like I could try. It was something that I was working myself up to doing that last part. And even then, I almost felt like an uneasiness, like, okay, like, I'm really going to have to almost buckle up and get myself to like the finish line, so to speak. I remember really struggling with the thought of actually going through with that last part, even though I found myself like kind of halfway through my plan. And by that point, I felt really like sick. No one was there in the apartment because it was summertime. Only like three people knew that I was even on campus. And I thought to call my friend, I didn't. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'm too freaked out and like a coward is what I said to die in the bathtub. But perhaps what I've done already is enough. And so I got out, I put on like nothingness as far as clothing. And I just thought, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to sleep. And I remember just getting so sick throughout the night and getting chills, just like on and off throughout, I guess the next like 16, 17 hours. And I remember my friend texted me because we were supposed to like hang out and just game or whatever. I thought about telling him, asking him to like come over and help me, Mm. but I didn't. I still think about it and I still think it was more of like a passive. It went from like being an active thing to more of like a passive. All right, I guess I'm just going to see how this fares. But after a while, I I knew that it wasn't going to do enough. Mm-hmm. And so for the next few years, I had told my friend, my best friend, who wasn't the friend whose family I house set for because she she had attempted in her life as well. She was the only one I told that story to for a long time, but I I told her when I told her I wasn't going back to school. Mm -hmm. And so the next few years were just kind of spent trying to find a 
different job, a different change of scenery. Um, not necessarily new friends. Cause I didn't feel like I was socially ready. <laughs> I still don't, <laughs> but it's just trying to, to do new things and hoping it will give me more of a reason to engage with the world mm-hmm. and to keep trying. Right. Get that. How many people know about either attempt or I know the first one was a sort of near attempt, but I don't even know if I've told anyone about the knife, like in the kitchen. I still don't think until recently, I'm like, oh, maybe that was more of something. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't trust anyone to know that. I think I was, I was definitely ashamed of it. So I didn't tell anyone. And Mm -hmm. the second real first one, I would say like three people, maybe four know that I've attempted. And that's what I would consider. But I would say only one person knows the story of like the details. So that was in 2016, I believe, because you mentioned the Olympics. And I know you go to Tennessee and I know you end up in New Mexico. And if there's a through line, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so if I'm not right here, you'll tell me, but it came up a couple of times, like trying new things to just figure this shit out. Yeah. Which is admirable, man. It really is. What were you looking for when you ultimately found the podcast? I think I was looking for people to relate to. Since leaving Tennessee, which in some ways could have been one of the best experiences, but also one of the hardest emotionally, I'm still trying to figure out the aftermath and like how that has honestly affected me. I have struggled still with thoughts of suicide and having that just be in the back of my mind throughout this road trip, just got overwhelmed again by just how much I felt like my life was falling apart in some ways and just very unstable. And I felt this very like nonchalance about it, a complete like lack of desire to do anything really. Mm -hmm. And just feeling like all the moments are empty. And so I tried to find like mental health, you know, self-help kind of podcasts in general, but they all just seem very like sterile too sterile for me. I I was like, I I don't want carefully crafted lectures on just all that shit. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm so I can't handle that right now. And so I just typed in suicide thinking that, you know, there would be someone who would talk about it. And I don't know how I have never found this podcast before. Well, who I don't know how the fucking algorithm works. (laughs) What comes up in your feed? It's weird. I don't I wish I did. But it was a breath of fresh air. I could probably like go back and figure out the first episode, but I was blown away by hearing people talk about these things. I never did. And I still struggle to, to admit that I've thought about that and that it's something that still comes into my mind because it's uncomfortable. I almost don't trust. (laughs) I have to know that I can trust people. You know, just some of the stigma that surrounds it really scares me. As far as like telling somebody who could tell somebody else who could have, you know, me thrown into a system and I just don't feel like I can handle that. I feel like it's enough for me to struggle to handle my own life outside where I have more autonomy. I think if I were to be helped in the way that the system helps people, I don't think I would fare well. Right. Scares me too. And you've had experience in hospital. I've had two. Yeah. One was a long weekend and the other one was about a week the more recent one yeah i mean look this comes up a lot on the podcast so sometimes i'm like all right sean's gonna start talking about the whole hospital thing again but the truth is you know for me it wasn't good at all but does it have some value sure i'm sure some people it's what they need right 
I'm sure. And I'm going to assume nobody knows we're talking. Well, one person. The thing is, is that like, it's a battle for me. I know that it's something I kind of work on. And then it's like, I know that there are people who I feel like if I were to ever seriously attempt or like think about it, that I could call who would want to know if I were ever thinking about that. I don't want to be ungrateful for that because I can't imagine that nobody has anyone, but I know how easy it is to feel like you don't have people who you could turn to to talk about these things or people who you really feel like are better off without knowing these things, without being bothered by a friend who is very flaky and Mm -hmm. never seems to have a good excuse for it. That's a major insecurity of mine, you know, and it's just almost a constant thing. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of people who legitimately don't have people or people that they would tell or want to tell. Or, I mean, I think actually that's probably, I don't, you can't measure this, but that's top three reasons why people try. It's more complicated than that, I realize. But if you don't have people to talk to, man, fuck. So yeah, you said you have a few people that you could... But how many people do you have if you're like, I kind of think I know the answer here, but I'm there. <laughs> like if you're having a really shitty day, even if that makes sense, because maybe you're feeling like every day is shitty, right? But for whatever reason, on this particular moment in or this day, I really want to talk to somebody. Is there anyone there for you to talk to? And you know what I mean by that? I mean, talk to in a way where you like, it feels okay. I'd like to say I do. I'd really like to say I do, but I'm not there yet. I'm not quite there where I can say like, Oh my gosh, you know what I've been doing for the last two hours? Researching methods, even though I've done that a million times before, whatever. There are people who realistically would want to know, and I should be able to be able to say these things to them, but I'm not there to be able to actually say, hey, I am actively suicidal or passively, or I've thought about it in the last... 24, 48 hours. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling right now. Part of what I felt like I needed to see about being on this show was so that I, I have something to be able to help me have those conversations. The last time I saw my friend, which was the first time in two years, so probably before the pandemic, we met up and I was thinking about how to do it after our vacation ended together. And I could not, I could not get myself to tell her best friend, one of the greatest people I've known. And I, I can't face her and tell her that that's hard. And I tried to give myself a little bit of grace. I feel like she's a much better friend to me than I am to her. And it's that reciprocation of trust. It's not like she's done anything to, for me to feel like I should shield her from this. Cause I know she would want to know. It's just getting myself to say that. And I've never said any of that. And I've never said anything like this to anyone besides you. But somehow the safe space of this theoretical podcast episode that will come out seems like a good start for me. And I I, I need that because while I'm here in New Mexico, not in Tennessee, trying to, again, day by day, create a reality that doesn't make me want to escape from it completely, it's still a challenge and it is still just something that comes up. And so it's very fine. It's delicate to try to invest in a future that you, you don't even really see the value in or the, the need for. Mm -hmm. 
You said you had gone to some doctors. Did you ever get a diagnosis that you agree with? Yeah, he diagnosed me with an anxiety disorder and then also uh, MDD, major depressive disorder. Do you ever think about the incident in the bathtub and wish it had you had died? Yeah, I do. I think about that. I still think about the fact that I am so so much further away from that incident than I realize that was a few years ago. Yeah, like that was that was a while ago. But it's it's still there. I felt like that moment in the kitchen, once I realized, I guess once I justified it, it almost feels like it can never be taken off the shelf. Almost in a sense that that thought just lingers behind me. And there have definitely been points where I think I wish I had actually gone through with it. I also kind of understand that there's a desperation factor that was present almost in the first two, although the second time was way different. Like I started from a very sober mindset and then went into it, you know, and I think that that definitely changed the name of the game. It's something that I just I'm trying to, again, be proactive about giving me more reasons to not do it as opposed to reasons to. So I'm hoping with a little bit of sunshine. Big sun in the desert type thing. All right, Brianna in New Mexico, do you have any myths you'd like to dispel or call bullshit on? I get really heated when the word selfish comes up. I I get combative because I think it takes a lot of consideration for anyone to to seriously think about taking their own life and the reasons why there's a lot of consideration that is involved and it's usually not just about one person you know there's a lot of factors there are a lot of factors involved and so i just don't understand that and i think it that kind of a statement and sentiment really it's really damaging mm-hmm. it has been for me and i i suppose we're contributing to busting the myth about you know how many people really struggle with suicide attempts and who has that experience. I, before, you know, hearing my best friend's story, I think I had vaguely known personally one other person who has told me that they've attempted suicide. Not necessarily that they haven't thought about it. And I don't know to what extent, you know, I never had those conversations either. But just how many people have, you know, maybe been on that fine line that we would never know about and we wouldn't know about until somebody speaks up. So just dispelling the myth that it's a lot more common, I think, than we realize. But the fact that we're unable to really talk about it is only making things far far worse. No doubt about it. All right. Those are the myths. You're 28 years old. Will you be alive for your 30th birthday? I think so. I'm smiling because I don't know what else to do. (laughs) That's a weird question. It is. It's like harder to say yes than no. I feel very much like it take it day by day. Okay. So just over like the past five days, it's almost been like a, okay, why, why are you trying? And then, you know, a few hours later, it's like, okay, this is why. I think also just that idea of expressing that, how wishy-washy it almost feels like mm-hmm. makes it harder for me to talk about because it just, it sounds fucking insane. I i really struggle with that, how flippant I am. That's another hard thing to wrap my head around. That idea makes it hard for me to answer that question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel in a lot of ways, it's unbelievable that I 
am still here that I haven't like attempted again, because again, like my experience with my job in Tennessee did a lot on me emotionally. And so I feel in a sense, proud of myself that I never tried to attempt, although I think I was just in a, okay, I'm going to just let my life kind of spiral out and see where it goes, which is not helpful. I didn't ask you what kind of work you do or you did. Um, I worked on a, a homestead in the process of converting into a farm. Wow. I'm trying to find that job. And thankfully, I have a safe, stable place to live in the meantime, mm. which takes a lot of the weight off of me. There are a lot of things to look forward to. That So that adds to the list. We've got a list. It's not my list, your list. Can we say it this way? Or if not, you can change it to whatever you want. Reasons to live, reasons not to live. Yeah. They're not all weighted equally, I understand, but you're going to do it however you want. This is the list. Yeah. All right. So the list is reasons to live, to be able to share this with my people. The second time that I tried the bathtub, I wrote five letters and five letters only. Over the years, I feel like I've had relationships that I've really tried my best to invest in. But again, I feel like people have invested so much of their truth to me that I I feel like I need to do that before anything else happens. I want to push myself to do that. So those are the only reasons <laughs> to not so far that I have today in this moment. With that, uh, would you think you'll let people know about this episode when it comes out? Yeah, I think that'll have to be part of That's a non-negotiable. That's got to be a, a part of it. You know, because while all of these different people in my life, family, friends, um, and just people that I've encountered, you know, if even for a short season, have maybe known bits and pieces. I know that nobody really has the full picture of my experience with mental health. This podcast, while it's not all of it, and, you know, mm -hmm. there are a lot of pieces that are not going to be exposed, I can have those moments of exposure and helping to paint the broader picture of who I am. By the way, when you said five letters, what did you mean? Letters to leave behind after my attempt. To, to, oh, to different people. Five letters and five letters only. Huh. Mm -hmm. It's a good subtitle. It is. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm, not, I'm just trying to make art here. You're making art. Making podcast art. All right. So then what are the reasons not to live? Is that, what we, is that what we're calling it? Yeah. I would say the stigma, the shame, the instability. I would say the loneliness. I would say the hopelessness too. But I guess one other line to add to the reasons too is this little thing called faith. Mm. Faith in general or faith specific to a p ideology? Uh, in general, not doing it because maybe it'll be better tomorrow. Wait, is faith different than hope? I guess the faith that doing it day after day and eventually it yielding. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, yeah, it's just that continue for me. It's that that idea of just trying to continue the work that I've already started. Yeah, you know, just yeah. continuing the work of thinking that okay today sucked okay it's looking great like the idea of not doing this ever again and then just doing it again and doing it again and 
doing it again. And I'm just going to keep doing it again until I don't think I can anymore. And hopefully I'll still find a way back to just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Was that a bird? We're, yeah. I'm sitting outside of this park and I think there are first responders who are training. Holy Go rock style. How ironic. <laughs> don't open your windows, please. They're already open and a group of like four of them just walked by. But it's it's all right. We're talking about this in the open. Even if my windows are slightly ajar, it's it's open. It's way more open than I've ever been. That's for sure. Indeed, which I appreciate very much. You'd said that it, we won't have the full picture. Not everything will be exposed. But is there anything else that you want to add? I guess it would just be like, and this is where I will cry. So I have to compose myself enough to be able to get this thought out. But I guess it would be a note of like appreciation. I am very fortunate that I've had some really great people in my life. I'm appreciative that they invested what they had emotionally, time-wise, like something that I don't want to take for granted anymore. I feel like I struggle with that idea of selfishness when it comes to people wanting to help me, even good intentioned and people who earnestly do help me. It's hard to admit that sometimes the best things that people could offer you still don't make you feel the way they should and the way that they're meant to. It's hard to admit that. That's something personally that I've struggled with. And that's why I get so uh, about the idea of selfishness because I struggle with that. It's hard to really be appreciative of the people who deserve that appreciation when you feel that way, when you struggle with depression and just feeling like you don't deserve it and all that stuff. So Mm. it's just an, an oath of appreciation for my people who I'm trying every day to be better for. And not just my people, but, you know, people in general. It's so raw. It's so like high maintenance that I feel like I can only grasp what I can hold in my hand at one time. That's that. That's that. So thank you very much, Brianna. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. What's the rest of your day like? Well, I'm going to go pick out some carpet. I met this woman at a coffee shop. Um, she's an older woman and she's got some health issues and she has the studio space that she used to rent out and she's letting me stay there. And I'm going to work to kind of revamp the space because it definitely needs it just because somebody just didn't take care of it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to do that. That's another project. That's another line to go to the reasons to stay. Oh, yes. Is a fun little home DIY project which i've never really done before oh it's about to get shit's about to get real in fucking new mexico yeah well i hope that goes well all right take care thanks again i really appreciate it thank you do you have a great day thanks you too ciao as always thanks so much for listening and all of your support special thanks to brianna out in new mexico thanks brianna if you are a suicide attempt survivor you'd like to talk please reach out hello at suicidenoted.com on facebook or twitter at suicide noted as always check the show notes if you want to get involved in other ways including our membership and if you listen on apple Podcasts, please rate and review suicide noted it helps more people find it and we want more people to find it 
Thanks very much for that. And that is all for episode number 169. Happy three-year anniversary to us. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.